0: Alright, so the question was, what do you look for, for someone who will be a pastor or a minister of God's church? Does anyone want to tell me what they came up with? Thoughts? Someone has good people skills. Good people skills? Yep. Patience to deal with people. Okay, cool. Someone who will fearlessly proclaim the truth someone gets Someone who's willing to proclaim the truth of the Bible? Um, Someone who knows the truth of the Bible. Yep. Someone who puts God first and then second. Puts God first, instead of themselves. Yeah. They're sounding like good things. Anything else? the church as well as like reaching Yeah, yeah. So someone who's going to reach out to those outside of the gathered church. yeah. John. At my church, you can't... We met the pastor for two years, and we went to search for the pastor. And it was up to the elders to put them a long time to find someone, pick someone. Yep. Very frustrating. But, in the process, there were a lot of good people at the GMC who actually preached. Yeah. 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 Yeah, hopefully, uh, church isn't a one-man show. Yeah. So, I'll yeah. do it. Yep. It's great. Okay. We're so many unites. Yeah. Does it have, favourites? You know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So many unites rather than picking favourites, for sure. Tonight I want to have a, have a bit of a think about the Apostle Paul. And I guess I want to wonder with you whether, if the Apostle Paul turned up and put his application in, whether he'd be the first guy on our list. I had a crack at writing a resume application for the Apostle Paul. Here it is Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding that your pulpit is vacant, I'd like to be considered for the job. You see, I love to preach, even though my preaching tends to stir up quite a bit of controversy. In fact, in one of my sermons, I actually caused a riot. And I've never been able to stay in, more than one, in one place for more than three years. My health isn't too good. I have what's called a thorn in the flesh. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not much to look at. I can assure you, however, that this doesn't interfere with my ministry. I'm a bachelor, no wife, no kids. But I do think I know a thing or two about marriage and family. If you do a background check on me, and I'm sure you probably will, you'll discover that I actually changed my name a while back. I've been arrested a few times. Uh, But even in jail, I was able to have a successful ministry. People tell me I'm quite a theologian, and sometimes I'm very difficult to understand. I hope you're not looking for an administrator. I'm not too good at keeping records. Sometimes I even forgot who I (laughs) baptised. If you know that reference in 1 Corinthians, you'll be laughing. If you don't, then read 1 Corinthians. I'm a hard worker, although the things I want to do, I rarely do, and the things I don't want to do, I always end up doing. Go figure. But you know what? I've found that everything works out in the end for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Praise be to God, the sovereign one overall. Well, let me know if you're interested. I can start next week. By the way, I wrote this with my own hand. Grace to you all, the Apostle Paul. I reckon there's some things in there that if the Apostle Paul's application came into us, I actually wonder if some churches today would employ him. As we look at our passage tonight that Emma read out, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 25, Tonight, um, we actually see the Apostle Paul outline his very own ministry. He outlines his job, his task, what it is that God has called him to do as a servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, and really, what he outlines is he says that his job is to preach the Word of God. is to proclaim the Word of God. In fact, I want to argue tonight that he is saying that the key ministry of the church, the essential Ministry of the Church is proclamation of the Word of God. Uh, And I know that that idea actually might not be tolerated in some churches today. Uh, There will be a whole lot of people who will argue uh, for other ministries being more key. Some people will say, what about the music team? Aren't they the key ministry?" Some people will say, what about the welcoming team or the morning tea team? Maybe not the morning tea team, but I kind of like morning tea. What about the people who are on about social action causes? Isn't that more important than preaching? What about that? But Tonight I actually want us to think this through together with these verses from God's Word. I want to argue that the church actually exists for one reason. Those to proclaim God's Word. It's to preach the Gospel about God's Son. Uh, you take the Word away. You take proclamation away. And what are you left with? Well, you're probably left with sometimes a good band. Sometimes a good cup of coffee. And generally a bunch of nice people who want to help people. If you don't have proclamation of the Word of God at the very centre of your church, then... You actually have nothing to offer of eternal value. Look at verse 24. Verse 24, Paul says this. He says, "That's kind of a curious little phrase, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. There's a couple of things in there I want to tease out. Paul says, firstly, that in his suffering he rejoices. He's suffering for the church, but he rejoices in that. Now, if you know much about Paul's life, the Apostle Paul, you know that he was a guy who actually suffered quite a lot. You read through the book of Acts, you read some of his accounts in 1 Corinthians, and you see that he spent much of his life suffering, as he was seeking to proclaim the word of God. His whole life was essentially these ministry and missionary journeys where he just wanted to tell people about Jesus. And as he did that, he suffered. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He suffered rejection. People betrayed him. He was slandered. And yet, in all of that, he says he rejoices. He rejoiced in the midst of that. And I've got to say, well, why? What was it that actually allowed the Apostle Paul to rejoice, to have this joy in the midst of this suffering, of being thrown in prison for heaven's sake? Or well, perhaps, perhaps it was simply the joy of knowing his salvation. Perhaps it was knowing that the Gospel, that is that he who was a sinner, He was alienated from God. That's what we looked at last week, isn't it? He was alienated from God because of his sin, heading for an eternity without God. He knew that because of what Christ did on that cross, when he put his trust in Christ, he was reconciled back to God the Father for all eternity. And that gives him joy, doesn't it? Perhaps that was the joy that actually allowed him to endure sufferings. But I actually think it might actually be more than that for the Apostle Paul. See, so have a look at that little phrase, that strange phrase in verse 24. Verse 24, Paul says this. He says, In my flesh, that is, in his physical body, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church. Well, what does that mean? Well those verses mean. I take it there that Christ's afflictions refers to Jesus' death on the cross, where he was afflicted. Physically, spiritually. Uh, Paul's saying he rejoices that he can feel what is lacking in Jesus' death on the cross. But even that doesn't help that much, does it? Like, what does it mean that Jesus' death on the cross was somewhat lacking? Well, it's not that Jesus' death isn't sufficient to save people. It's not as though people need to do something extra in order to make salvation happen. No, Jesus' death is completely sufficient. He is the perfect sacrifice for our sin. But, in order for people to trust in that sacrifice, well, something actually has to happen, don't they? They actually have to hear about that suffering, about Christ's suffering on the cross. Uh, For people to be reconciled to God for eternity, they actually need to hear the message, the good news of the gospel. Uh, Paul says actually in Romans chapter ten, he says um, he says this everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him if they have not believed? And how can they believe in him if they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? It seems to me that what is lacking uh is that the message of Jesus' death actually needs to be spoken needs to be told. This message needs to go to the ends of the earth uh, so that people can hear the good news, so they can repent and believe. So without preaching of this message, people can't hear, so people can't believe and people can't be saved. And so Paul is actually saying that he rejoices that he can be a part of God's salvation plan, that he can fill up what is lacking, that he can take this message and make it known in order that people can put their trust in Christ and be saved. And Paul rejoices in that. In fact, if you jump down to the end of verse 25, what does Paul say his purpose is? His purpose for being here on this earth, he says, it is to make the word of God fully known. Make the word of God fully known it is just to tell the gospel. It's to preach the good news. So friends, the big idea that we have tonight is this. It is that we Christians must see the absolute importance of this ministry of proclamation, of preaching. Now when I say preaching, I don't necessarily mean this, standing in front of a crowd for 30 minutes and opening up a Bible passage. We can preach to one another over a cup of coffee as we open up the Word of God and explain it, warn each other, teach each other, preaching what proclamation, can take many forms. Uh, But I want to talk primarily, I think, tonight about the preaching ministry that we kind of see in our churches. It's a practical way of coming at this passage, I think. Uh, Many of us go to churches on Sunday, come to see you, you hear preaching, and I actually want us to see the vital importance of preaching ministry in the church. Have a look at verse 25 again. Verse 25, Paul explicitly tells the Colossians... That God has appointed him for that mission to make the Word of God fully known. Uh, This is Paul's instruction orders from God. And I think it actually works out kind of two ways in Paul's life and ministry. Uh, See, I think the first way that Paul tries to make the Word of God fully known is he actually wants to make it fully known to the whole world. He wants this message to, to be fully known so everyone... The nations can hear about it. Oh That's one way. Paul sort of just goes on these missionary journeys around his life and he takes pretty much, in his monday, he takes the Gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, which was Rome. Right. In uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 19, Paul says, "...so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Elilicrum, I have fully preached the Gospel of Christ." Paul actually literally took the Word of God to the nations to make it fully known. But I think also it works another way, and that is that Paul wanted to make, not just take it so that numerically it could be fully known, but also in maturity. So that individual Christians would fully know the Scriptures themselves. So that they wouldn't just be know the very basics, but that they would grow and that they, that they would mature. Now Paul was a theologian. Uh, He was a theologian of the Old Testament and, and he saw, like we saw in that video, how the Old Testament promises were fulfilled in Christ. And so much of what Paul writes in his letters and his preaching is all about how the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ and how because of Christ's death and resurrection, Christians can respond to that in their lives of thankful gratefulness and how their lives are shaped by the Gospel. Paul's desire, it seems to me... And we actually saw this a couple of weeks ago in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. If you just flick back there in your Bible. uh, Colossians 1, verse 9, Paul says that his desire was that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this filling and wisdom of understanding, it actually occurs as people hear the Word of God. As they hear it preached... And it sinks deep into their minds and into hearts and into our lives. And our friends, I I understand that for some of you it's difficult to sit through 30 minute service. Uh, For some of you, you might go to churches where you have longer than 30 minute service and you find it difficult. But I want to say, we need to be willing to learn from God's word, don't we? I think we should actually prepare ourselves to hear from God's Word. It is only by hearing that we grow in maturity as we learn more and more about our God and how to respond to His Word. Unfortunately, what I'm seeing in some churches is that sermons are actually getting shorter and they're getting funnier because people are saying to me that, well, the young people won't handle that these days. People are backing off from talking about sin. People are backing off from a whole lot of things. Friends, I want to say, can I urge you to encourage your pastors to keep preaching God's Word, the truth of God's Word. Encourage them in that. But also practically, I think that if the Bible really is God's Word to us, God speaking to us, that if the Holy Spirit comes along and makes this word alive so that this word is living and active, then don't you reckon we should get prepared for God to speak to us? I mean, can you imagine if we put a poster up at the uni and we said, God, our creator, is coming and he's going to speak in the CLT. I reckon we might get a few people coming. I reckon I reckon we'd all kind of go, wow, God's going to speak to us. The Bible actually says that it's through the proclamation of the word, the spirit comes on and he makes his word alive so that God actually is speaking to us. Whenever we hear the word preached, truthfully and faithfully. So friends, here's a couple of really practical um, suggestions, and I actually need to take these on myself, I think. Um, on Saturday night, try to get a good sleep. So that you're actually not yawning and sleepy and tired on Sunday morning. I know some of you go to night church, so that doesn't count. But um, good on you for having night church; that's cool. Here's another one: Why not try and read through the passage that's going to be preached on before you go? That's kind of in your mind, so you're thinking it through. So you know you might have some questions that you could ask. So it's not just oh, I've never considered that. Read through the passage before you go. Uh, I think remove distractions. Don't have your phone buzzing and Facebook coming through. In fact, I reckon take a real Bible, a, uh, a paper one, you know, those ones, they're good, um, because they don't actually have notifications that pop up as you kind of try to listen and then you get distracted and then you go, oh, wow, here's a cool um, unicorn running on a rainbow on Facebook. That's awesome. you know." And then you've completely missed this, the sermon. Seriously, get a paper Bible. They're good. You can underline, you can highlight. That's not a sin. That's actually really encouraged. Um, write on your Bible. Take notes. Uh, many of your churches, um, people print a little outline. Take notes. You may never look at those notes again. That's okay. But actually writing down helps you think through what you're hearing. Because you have to kind of formulate those thoughts and go, oh yeah, that's a good point. And you actually remember it. better. There's a couple of practical tips, but we've got five points, so I'm going to keep moving. Preaching must proclaim Jesus. That's our second point. Preaching must be all about Jesus. In verse 26, you see it there, Paul goes on to speak of a mystery that's been revealed. He writes these words, verse 26 and 27, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, remember saints just means Christians, holy ones, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, Paul uses this interesting word, mystery. What's a mystery? Well, I've been watching a little bit of Scooby-Doo lately uh, with my kids, and if you watch Scooby-Doo and you know that there's the mystery van, and... What do Scooby and Shaggy and the gang set off to do? They want to solve the mysteries. So they get all the clues together, they piece all the clues together and they solve the mystery. And Paul here, I think, is kind of just using a word like that. Uh, he refers to mystery um, in these verses. He says it's the mystery hidden for ages and generations. Uh, the past ages and generations, he's referring to there, I take it, is the people of the Old Testament. There is this mystery of a king who is going to come, who will fix God's world. And the Old Testament prophets spoke about it. It was prophesied. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that someone would come who would crush the evil snake, the serpent, Satan. Crush him. But at the same time, he himself would be bitten on his heel. And the mystery is that that person, that king, that Messiah is Christ. He's Jesus. He's the one that God sent to be the Messiah. And Paul can write that the mystery has now been revealed. Because Jesus has come. And it was kind of new for the Jews, for the first century people back then. Because they weren't expecting the type of king that Jesus actually was. The type of king they were expecting was someone who would conquer the Romans. Someone who would overthrow their physical enemy of the day. Someone who would usher in the New Jerusalem for the Jews. But Jesus wasn't actually like that. Jesus came and he healed people and he spoke about God's kingdom. In a way it was very different. It wasn't a physical kingdom, it was a spiritual kingdom. But ultimately Jesus just didn't defeat... He wasn't all about defeating a physical enemy. He was on about defeating our ultimate enemy. And he did that by dying on a cross. That so when Christ died on that cross, he defeated the enemy of Satan, of sin, of death, so that we could be reconciled back to God, our Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, um, 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, Paul writes, We speak... God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He said. This passage actually says that if the Jews understood that Jesus really was God's king, they wouldn't have put him on a cross. They wouldn't have done it. But the point is, Paul says in verse 27, God has chosen to make known this mystery, which is Christ. So whenever you hear preaching, is Christ being preached? That is the question that must be asked. Is the preaching revealing Christ to you? Christ is what must be preached as we hear the word of God. There are some preachers who I hear who fail to mention Jesus' name at all in their sermons. Uh, some people who hold back from saying that He is the Saviour, that He is Lord. Some pre- preachers speak about God and faith in kind of vague generalities, so that you can kind of say whatever you want about God. But when you actually speak about the person of Jesus, you can't say whatever you want about God. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus actually reveals God to us. Some preachers are just on about social issues. Some are just speaking about moralism. Some are all about social justice, and they're not on about Jesus. Friends, make sure that the church you attend, make sure you are sitting under good biblical preaching. that is on about Jesus, making him known, glorifying him, exalting in the cross of Christ, because that's where the true glory is. I think a good question to ask yourself as you leave church each week is, have I been moved to love Jesus more? Do I love Jesus more as a result of being here? Or have I just been given a list of things to do? Thirdly, uh, the third truth is that preaching... This proclamation of the word is what actually induces spiritual growth. Hearing the word of God is what brings about spiritual growth in us. In Colossians 1, verse 28, Paul writes these words He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Here do you see, Paul repeats the last point, point number two. But it's him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim. But then it gets really specific by using two particular words, warning and teaching. Two key aspects of what must happen in preaching. Now, the first is that preaching should actually warn us of danger. Preaching should warn us. Some translations you might have in front of you might use the word admonish. Uh, That word has to do with putting our thinking right, correcting wrong thoughts, correcting wrong behaviours. You should actually be really challenged after you hear a sermon. It's good to be challenged about how you're living your life. The next word that Paul uses is teaching. It would actually be incomplete for Paul to warn us, but not to teach us. The two kind of complement each other. Good teaching, in fact, actually guards us against where we need to be warned. It guards us against error. Teaching raises our minds that we would think of God, that we would be focused on Christ and His glory, not our own glory. It convicts us of the, the inherent value of the sacrifice of Christ. Speaks about the words. The work of the Spirit instructs us, instructs us on how to grow, how to follow God, how to live lives worthy of the Gospel. Admonishing and teaching, I hope you can see, are the necessary works that we need to hear for God to work into our lives. When we're admonished, when we're taught the truths of God, it's then that we actually grow in our character it's then that we actually grow in our convictions to become more like Christ. The purpose of preaching Christ, of admonishing, of teaching, is that Christians would actually grow spiritually. You're never going to grow spiritually if people just pat you on the back all the time and say, good job, you're going well. We actually need to be taught great truths. We actually need to be warned of error that we can get caught up in. Paul there, you see in verse 28, he preaches, why? So that people might become mature in Christ. And I think, let me just say on this topic of spiritual growth, it's not actually easy. Spiritual growth doesn't just kind of happen overnight. It's not as though you wake up and, oh, I no longer struggle with that sin anymore. Um, I think sometimes we're a little bit like pieces of steel or iron You know, like, for it to get to the finished product, it kind of needs to be heated up and belted and forged and belted again. And It's a hard process sometimes for us to leave sin behind and to grow more like Christ, for us to leave error behind and to grow in our convictions. But God actually wants to use His Word and He sends His Spirit to take that Word To make it real to us. To shape us. To change us. To refine us. That we would become more like Christ. To become more like the person that God has actually created us to be. So let me ask you, when you hear the word of God preached, and it offends you, and it kind of, your conscience kind of rears up and you're feeling it and you're going, I can't believe he said that. How do you react? Can you take that Word of God, that conviction of the Spirit and use it to grow as hard as that might be put sin to death say no to that sin but you just kind of run away from it because it all seems too hard we need to be warned we need to be taught, that's how we grow fourthly though I think we need to remember that this isn't all done just in our own power uh, in verse in, In verse 29, we see that preaching actually includes God's power. See that in verse 29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. See, when Paul went from place to place, what he is saying here is that he actually worked really hard on his preaching. He, He toiled over it. The word struggling there is actually, in the original, it's the Greek word that we get our word for, anxiety. He was anxious over what he would say. He worked so hard at it. But notice also that Paul wasn't just preaching in his own strength alone. What does it say? It says that he struggles. He works hard to proclaim the truth. But he is fully dependent on God's power to fill him and strengthen him. There's something, I think, that we can learn about the ministry of preaching that your pastors, your ministers are doing each week, week in, week out. Paul is saying that preachers ought to work hard each week to prepare their sermon for you to hear. Uh, it's a spiritual process that ought to be bathed in prayer. Good preachers, you know, they don't actually just get their stuff together 20 minutes before church starts on Sunday. As long as they're walking from the manse, you know, the little church house that's right next to the church, and they go, oh, yeah, I'm going to say that, I'm going to say that, and I might read Psalm 52. Um, they, they, they don't do that. Well, they shouldn't do that. Good preaching is toilsome hard work. I normally spend about 8 to 10 hours writing a talk like this. I know a brother who spends about fifteen to twenty hours each week. And I listen to some of these sermons every now and then, and they're a lot better than mine. Because, because good preaching is the result of hard work. But do you see, it's not often just it's not only human effort. Uh, Paul speaks of how as he labours, as he toils, as he puts the effort in, God's Spirit actually empowers him to deliver that word effectively. As preachers stand up to preach, they do so with the Spirit of God within them. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and it changes our hearts, changes our minds. And that's what I think makes listening to preaching so important. We're not just to sit back and think, oh yeah, that's what Steve reckons, cool. No, when you hear preaching, actually, you go, if it's biblical preaching, it's faithful preaching. That's what God, my Creator, is saying to me. I need to respond to that. That's very different. That's what my Creator is saying to me today. So when you rock up to church on Sunday, how do you view the preaching? Is it is church just kind of a take it or leave it sort of thing for you? Oh, yeah. Don't have too much on this week. I might go hear the living God speak to me. Can you just how vital this is to us? How important this is for us to hear God's word? But fifthly, and I think most importantly, the preaching that you are hearing week in, week out, it's actually preparation for the spiritual warfare that you face during the week. Uh, have a look at what Paul says in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. He says this, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Do you see Paul's main concern there in focusing on preaching the truth is that they would not be deluded. That they would not be led away from Christ. Because they are under attack. People were deluding them. They were speaking these arguments, saying these things that could lead them away. People were coming in and they were saying all sorts of things about God and Jesus that weren't true and it was actually shipwrecking their faith. So how does Paul counter that? Well, he actually counters it by speaking the truth to them. By reminding them of the truth, by preaching the word of God, the glory of God. That we see in Christ. You know, nearly every week, uh, in my week, uh, I try to track down a lot of Christians on campus who I haven't seen for a while. Uh, and I meet one-to-one and chat with them. And I reckon about over my three and a bit years of doing uni ministry, I can see a bit of a pattern. When people stop exposing themselves to God's Word, When they stop going to church, stop hearing God's word, when they are going to a home group, when they open up the Bible and read it together and chat it through together, then it is a very dangerous place for them to be. When they're not reminded of the glory of God in Christ, they forget to, to see and remember how good God is to them. And so the stories of the world, the narrative of our world, starts to change their views of God and what he's like and change their views of them and what they're like. And more often than not, when people haven't been exposed to God's word, they come to me and they say, Steve, I just don't know if I believe it anymore. Because they doubt that God really is good. Because they haven't been reminded of the cross of Christ where God himself died for them. And it's sad. It's eternally sad. So friends, when you sit and you listen to the word of God, I want you to think that it's like this. I want you to think that hearing preaching is a little bit like you're in a war and you're surrounded by an enemy who wants to take you away from Jesus. You're in a war zone, and the enemy is trying to get you. But preaching, hearing God's word that reminds you of Christ, is a little bit like going to the army supply store and stocking up on bullets. It is. It actually helps defend against the evil one. Knowing the goodness of God is like stocking up against the enemy. The word of God is to to help us steer clear of danger to know truth from lies. And in fact, Paul concludes this section in verse 5. He says, because they are reading God's word by rejoicing. Because they're hearing God's word to them. He rejoices because he knows that them just reading this word will produce in them a firmness in their faith so that they won't be led away in the midst of this spiritual battle. Friends, our goal actually for the CU is that we would just be able to get people together speak the word of God so that you will stand firm in your faith so that you'll grow in your love and knowledge of Jesus and by God's grace that some who don't yet know Christ might come and hear and repent and believe. So that's why we're on about preaching the Word. That's why when we meet one-to-one we read the Bible together. That's why when we have small groups we read the Bible together. That's why when we meet like this, when we go on camps, we read the Bible a lot. Because it's good for us. It helps us stand firm. It helps us grow. So can I encourage you to keep exposing yourself to God's Word. Take those tips. Work God's Word into your life. Let me pray for you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word stands forever. That your word is truth. And that your word actually lifts our eyes to see the glory of Christ. That he died on that cross for us. So that we might be forgiven. So that we might have life that begins now and lasts for eternity. Father, I want to pray for the preachers of this town in Bendigo. Father, I pray that they would be hard workers on your word. That they would preach truth. So that Christians would stand firm, grow and then take that truth. To the people around them, to the nations. So that we might see more and more people coming into your kingdom. Father, pray for our group here on campus, for the CU. Father, help us always to be a group that is on about hearing you speak to us by your word through your spirit. Father, help none of us to be led astray. Help us to grow and be encouraged more and more as we remember the excellencies of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.